Well, hello, With Gratitude Matt listeners. My name is Matt Moran, and I'm the host for the With Gratitude Matt Show. Our goal with the show is to inspire our listening audience to practice gratitude, regardless of how powerful their storm is. We've learned that the practice of gratitude works much like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it becomes. I'm so delighted to have Andy Hill as today's guest. You may recall that we had Andy Hill on the show about a year and a half ago. Andy grew up in West Westwood, California. He always dreamed about playing for UCLA. In fact, he did so in the early 1970s. As a freshman, he starred on the basket, freshman basketball team. However, in his sophomore, junior, and senior year, he sat at the end of the bench while his team won three national championships. He went on to have a very successful business career in entertainment. He was the president of CBS Entertainment and Channel One News. It was 25 years after playing for John Wooden that he reconnected with John Wooden and developed a very close relationship with him until the day John passed. I was so delighted to meet Andy in the mid-2000s when he was talking about the principles that John Wooden instilled in him as an athlete at UCLA. And he talked about John's pyramid of his success. Andy, it's such an honor to have you on today's show. Welcome to the show, Andy. Great to be with you, Matt. I'm uh, proud of you that you're still keeping this going. Your passion, your excitement, and your dedication are palpable. I can feel it right through that digital screen. So good for you. Well, yeah, you know, you had an impact on it. We connected in the early 2000s when you were talking about John Wooden's success. And I had a similar experience, not on the NCAA level, but at the high school level. I happened to play for a remarkable coach. His name was Dick Burning. And you played with some celebrities and learned about being part of a team many years later was so important. And I learned about that as well, playing in high school with guys like Doug Drennick, Mike Reeves, Tom Temperman, Kurt Kramer, Andy Holman, and the list goes on and on. And I only share those names with you because those are guys that really supported me when I was early on diagnosed with cancer. And I know you got similar support from your teammates, but they were guys like Lou Alcindor, Bill Walton, your backcourt mate. Uh, Henry Bibby. Henry uh, Bibby. Uh, let me tell you a story about that, Matt, because obviously, uh, you know, I got to sneak in here. If I'm going to talk at all, I'd be like I'm on a show with Walton. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 rem- I got a very early, very dire diagnosis. It turned out not to be true. Uh, but you know, the symptoms all lined up and, you know, I sort of had a long weekend cause you know, hospitals sort of, sort of shut down on Saturday and Sunday. They don't tell you that, but they do. And, uh, you know, a Sunday afternoon, two of my old friends, and by the way, not, not active teammates, but guys I'd known my whole life, uh, the great Mike Warren, who was a point guard for UCLA for many years, my hero growing up and Kenny Washington, who was one of the great heroes of Coach's early championships. And Kenny and Mike came to visit me in the hospital. 
keeping in mind that, you know, we were sort of thinking, wow, this was kind of not looking so hot for me. And, and, and Matt, the nurse had to come by twice and tell us to pipe down. We were laughing so hard. Which only a guy who's, you know, played sports and connected, or, or by the way, a woman who's now had that chance to connect with people the way that being in a locker room and, you know, kind of all chasing the same dream and trying to do it together bonds you in a way that nothing else in life does. And, you know, those friendships have certainly... Uh, outlasted my showbiz friendships. Uh, in fact, you, you'll get a laugh out of this. I'm leaving tomorrow for Hawaii for a, a bar mitzvah in Hawaii on Monday <laughs> where uh, it's the grandson of one of my only friends left from the entertainment business who I fired twice. Oh, my goodness. And uh, still my best friend. And, uh, you know, happy to be going to Hawaii for a bar mitzvah. But, you know, boy, the, the life takes some wild turns. And, uh, you know, I certainly know, like you, I wouldn't wish my illness on anyone. But uh, having had it is, I think, in many ways, a great blessing. It does really refocus your, your thoughts. There's no question. And the only reason I brought up some of the names that I brought early on is because of the support that I got. And we're talking 25, 30 years past even hearing some of, of them. And we've reconnected as a result of this. And I'm so grateful for that. And I know you've gotten such great support from some of your teammates as well. You know, if I could go back to, I want to just revisit what was going on in your head when you decided to call coach again, and I think it was 25 some odd years from last talking to him, and what caused you to pick up the phone and dial John Wooden's number? Well, it, you know, it was a long process, but it culminated actually on a golf course when uh, I had been playing poorly, which was not unusual, and the guy that I was playing with told me, Slow down, get your balance, uh, you know, and balance was something coach talked about all the time. And wh whenever I say coach talked about it all the time, I mean, all the time. He didn't talk about that many things, but the things he talked about, he talked about them all the time. And it was one of those very strange moments where, uh, he, he, you know, as a golfer, if you get set up just right, there's this moment of sort of green light. Wow, it's just so easy. And coach was sitting right on my shoulder. I just nailed one to about a foot and a half, which by the way, when I used to tell this story, coach used to interrupt and say, yeah, and he missed a putt, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of in that moment, I realized, oh man, I, you know, this guy sort of taught me everything I knew. What I realized was my gift in the entertainment business, uh, you know, what was getting people to work together as a group towards a bigger goal that was bigger than any of them. And, and to realize they had to work together to get there and that you needed talented people to get there, which so it just made it more difficult because talented people are more difficult. And uh, wow, how much does that sound like coaching basketball? I, I'm a little slow, Matt. It, 25 years, I will admit, was a slow boil. But then when I realized I needed to call him, it actually took me eh, about 48 hours to 
work up the courage to actually dial the number, you know, 818-343-2266. It's no longer in service. <laughs> and uh, my heart was just thumping because there's so much mixed in there, you know, so much unresolved stuff, so many unsaid things. And and then the answering machine picked up. And I took a big sigh of relief. I went, oh, man, this is cool. I don't have to talk to him. And so I was like, hi, coach, this is Andy Hill. And man, he grabs it. He had really quick hands. He used to do this thing in practice with his hands. You know, it's like, boom, where are you? He didn't say hello. I don't know. Maybe that's an Indiana deal. You're a Midwest guy. I don't know. Where are you? And so like a 20-year-old, which was who I was when I last really connected with him, I said, well, what do you mean, who am I, where am I, where are you? And, 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 and then he took a beat and kind of realized, okay, let's, we need an adult in this conversation. And he said, God, Andy, I'd really like to see it. When, when, when can I see it? And uh, I went to see him the next day and we spent about four hours together, Matt. It was stunning to me. As we spent that time together, I realized how much I had sought his approval, even though I never saw him. You know, I did all these TV shows that, you know, the, 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 the argument was people like John Wooden liked him. They were old. And he loved my shows, man. He, he loved Dr. Quinn, Touched by an Angel, and Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, man, those were coaches' shows. And I realized, wow, is that, is that just a coincidence it's that that was sort of the centerpiece of my career? No, of course not. So, you know, he had a very, very powerful influence. And after that day, we, you know, we just got closer and closer. You sure did. And you co-wrote this book that I'm holding up right now. Sorry. It's uh, Be Quick, But Don't Hurry. And inside of it, we've got signed by Andy Hill. I was so honored to be part of a crowd. I want to say 2002, 2003. But you really impacted me by sharing coaches' pyramids of success. And you've done that for so many. Hey, Ted Lasso, baby. You know? Yeah. We're, 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 in the big, we're in the big time now. I had the opportunity. I, didn't, I don't think I told you this. I know you're really close to Bill Walton. And 1996, Olympics down in uh, Atlanta. Bill was uh, doing the volleyball. And I was a huge Bill Walton fan, Celtics fan. Following the Celtics in 86, Bill's down there. There's not, not a lot of people at the volleyball. People circling around trying to get his attention. And I was standing back and I simply said, Bill, 86 Celtics, one of the best teams ever. And he looked right back at me and he said, darn right. And he, it was just really cool to make that connection. And what, what has that friendship meant to you over the years? <laughs> kind of pretty indescribable, I'd say. Uh, by the way, if you, uh, I move my head a little bit, you can see next to that picture of Coach, there's a picture of Bill with my grandson. Oh, wow. we, we don't really have... Uh, uh, mark on the wall with my grandson. We have pictures with Uncle Bill standing there as my grandson gets taller and taller. Uh, you know, listen, I'm I'm a I'm a lucky guy. Bill's an amazing friend. He's uh, you know curious and in, 
interested in making the world a better place. And, you know, we, we connected when we were children. You know, I was the first guy to take Bill on a recruiting thing for UCLA. It's not like it is now where they start recruiting kids in the seventh and eighth grade. And uh, actually, UCLA recruited it was recruiting his brother, Bruce, for the football team. Bruce, who passed not that long ago. Uh, Bruce played for the Dallas Cowboys and went to UCLA. And so his little brother wanted to tag along for the weekend, Bill. And they had me take him to a Laker game and out to dinner. I don't think he'd ever been in a real restaurant before, Matt. I mean, you know, first, he could barely speak. I mean, really, he could barely speak. And there are days when we're all sort of nostalgic for those days when Bill could barely speak. But, uh, you know, he, uh, what a unique talent. And to get a chance to play with and against him, there's nothing, as a basketball player, wow. You know, Bill and Jamal and, and the great Greg Lee, who, you know, I have to say just passed away. And once again, reflecting back on this area of gratitude, Matt, if I can just take that for a moment, because Greg was, Greg was one of the all-time greats at UCLA who sublimated his own talents. He played with two guys, Jamal Wilkes and Bill Walton, who were in the Hall of Fame. And he realized that what we really need to do was to get the ball to them. And, and that's what Greg did. And he had an extraordinary life. He was a championship volleyball player, as I'm sure you know from what you said earlier. Greg Lee and Jim Mengus won, I think, more open championships in a row than anyone in history. Uh, and when we went to uh, our reunion last year, which was probably the last time Greg was out in public, uh, you know, it was the last chance to see everybody. There were two guys who weren't there. Uh, Tommy Curtis and Vince Carson had passed. And, and, you know, about three months after that reunion, Matt, I went out and I tried to play golf. And I, I have a lot of neuropathy in my hands, and that's from a neck problem, and I've got a lot, not, lot of neuropathy in my legs, but that's a chemo issue, and, you know, and I'm alive. Yeah, you sure are. And I, and, and I played lousy. I mean, I played lousy, I, I fell down, I cut myself, I felt so awkward, I, you know, that actually for about a, two days, I got into a really dark place. So, you know, God, I thought, I'm retired, I can play golf now, and the truth of it is, I can't. And then I thought, wow, I got teammates that aren't even able to show up, they're gone. And, and Greg, I could tell at the reunion, didn't have that much time, that's a quarter of my team, Matt, not even here anymore. And so, you know, we're alive. It's beautiful outside. Well, I'm in sunny Southern California, so I don't know what the weather's like where you are, but, uh, you know, the, the ability to focus and the need to have intent to focus on gratitude, because I think that was so much of what Coach Wooden's philosophy was wrapped around was intention in life. Where are you going? How are you going to get there? And you and I both know, and certainly both know because, you know, once, you, once you've had an illness, you always have that illness. You, you, you know, you, you, you get better, but you don't totally lose the illness. And, 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 and you find over time that that's, that's one of the great blessings is, man, it's great to be alive. That so many people don't really come, what, what do you mean? That's kind of morbid, isn't it? I was like, no, that's the opposite of morbid. 
It is the opposite. As I hear you talk about that, Andy, I am reminded, and I've shared this with a lot of people, I think because of my diagnosis, I've become a better friend. I've become a better employee, a better father, a better husband, and the list goes on and on. And for that, I am grateful. And for somebody that has never been through an illness like we have, looks at that and says, oh my God, you're crazy. How can you be grateful for all that? But I am. And you know that. Well, and you say that to me and you know, as I'm just going to smile and say, yeah, I get it totally. And, and, and the truth of it is it's in an odd way why we're part of a exclusive fraternity, which we didn't ask to join. That's right. But, but at the same time, yes, I, I, I feel those things myself. I feel them very powerfully. I, I, and by the way, I also, I don't know if you've experienced this either, Matt, but, you know, I, I was in the entertainment business. You know, as I used to tell my wife, it's a very social business, you know, and you have a lot of friends. And I think, you know, the illness really narrows your scope, your frame of reference, your your sense of, like you said, those are the, those fellas you play ball with. They're lifetime friends. Absolutely. They're not next year's friends or last year's friends. They're lifetime friends. And that is a gift. Uh, and, and, and by the way, I think in many ways something that uh, sports is one of its great contributions, if you're lucky enough, as both of us were, to play for a great coach because you have to play for a great coach to really experience being part of a team. There's no question. Andy, so we're call it a month away from the start of the NCAA tournament. You had the good fortune of playing for three national championship teams. As we get started, you know, next month with the NCAA March madness, what would coach say about the game today versus the one that you played in the early to mid seventies? Wow. I mean, you know, that, <laughs> that that's a five hour program, Matt. We don't have time to really answer that. I, I mean, you know, but coach was not a fan of dunking. Well, that's the game today. Dunking and shooting three point shots. I mean, in truth, having the kind of record coach had is improbable anyhow. But with the addition of the three-point shot, it's impossible because teams can get hot. And it's a dis... You know this. You know, you take a long two or, you know, a short corner three could be closer than than a long two. And you add another point for it? Wow. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's changed the balance of the game because, you know, coaches saying was sort of, hey, man, you go, you want to beat, beat me from out there? I'll pat you on the back and say, nice shot. You know, and by the way, I just assumed Walton was shooting at the rim. I, I kind of like my, my, my chances there because they were all worth the same. Yeah. And, and now it's been changed so much. I, you know, I, I think that uh, anybody who doesn't see the 
talent and athleticism of these players is blind. It's stunning. The skill level is stunning. Uh, you know, and uh, at its highest level, the team play is stunning. You know, when you get into the NBA playoffs and watch the teams that are winning, I watched Denver the other night. Boy, are they fun. Yep. Watch the big joker. You know, wow, is that fun? That's great. Somebody tell me they don't like, like watching pro basketball. Go watch those guys. They're fantastic. But of course, you know, what you get in this NCAA tournament, and, and I think it's ultimately the allure of sports in general, is we know that everything we watch on TV is fake. I used to make shows about, you know, a doctor in the 1860s. She wasn't really there, you know? I mean, come on. We, although we would go places and occasionally people would ask Jane Seymour for medical advice. It's sort of like, you know, she's not really a doctor. That, that She just plays one on TV. And everything seems fake in terms of, can I believe, but you go watch a college basketball game and watch those kids who just won and watch the kid who missed a shot at the end crying on the sideline, that's real. That's as real as real can be. And the cheerleaders, you know, jumping up and down on one end, crying on the other end. And I think that we all just get, and it's a national event in the way that no other sporting event is. There, You know, there, there are teams that I have to go look on my computer to find out where, where are they? I don't even know. You know, yep. schools like Xavier. Where is Xavier? I don't know. Oh, come on. You know where Xavier is. Don't say that to me. <laughs> I had to throw that in there for you. Hey, at least you pronounced it properly. Oh, good. Okay. All right. All right. A lot of guys will call it Xavier, and that drives no, me no, nuts. No, no, no. Come on. We know you. I'm just, I'm just kidding you. You know, a great, great basketball school. Well, you know, I, I'm curious because I, I didn't – I wasn't – I was just born when you were playing – Back when you were playing, how many teams – well, the reason I'm asking this question, I feel like today there's really probably 15, maybe 20 teams when they enter the tournament that probably have a reasonable shot at winning the tournament. What was it like when you were playing back in, the, in that day? Well, you know, first of all, it was, I mean, it was different. We only played four games to win it all. So that meant that, you know, there were far fewer teams in the tournament but every team in the tournament had won their conference. You you weren't playing a number five. You know, we're, you, didn't, you weren't playing a team that came in fifth in the uh, Big Twelve. You, we were playing the big the Big Twelve champion, and and uh, you know it, it, the tournament was nowhere near as big as it is now in terms of a media event. Uh, you, you know, really that Astrodome game, which was in '68. The Houston UCLA game really started the whole thing, you know, rolling downhill. But it was just reaching a peak, and then Bird and Magic showed up, and you know, it was it exploded. Uh, but you know, it was incredibly exciting, and 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 it is such a unique event. Uh, you know, uh, pity the fool who doesn't realize that over time, Matt, this gambling addiction we've all bought into is going to explode. Uh, if they think there's not a gambling scandal coming, coming they, you know, they're kidding themselves. I'm sort of stunned at the 
greed of all these sports teams attaching themselves to it. In fact, I'll tell you a story. I actually blew the national line on an NCAA semifinal game where coach put me in with a minute and a half to go, and they didn't have 14 little guys with, you know, brushes in those days. And we were playing Kansas in the Astrodome in front of 40,000 people, and they had this guy who's a big old white dude, Dave Robish, big left-handed kid. And, you know, with a minute and a half left to go, he was down there sweating like a pig. And so they shot the free throw, and they made it, and then somebody took it out of bounds, passed it to me, and I, like, with great confidence, cleared everybody out so I could take this sucker, and then went, bang, flat on my face, because I was standing in a puddle of Dave Robish's sweat. So, now, that's the last score of the game, you know, next 90 seconds goes by, nothing happens, and uh, we go run into the locker room, which at the Astrodome is about a quarter of a mile away. You know, it's not like you just run to the locker room. you got a ways to go. And we're running to the locker room, and about every fourth row, Matt, there was some dude that looked kind of like you, screaming at me, you know. <laughs> I had no idea what they were screaming about, but I'd blown the spread. You needed to score a bucket. No, I needed oh, to just stand on my feet. Oh. <laughs> I needed to just stand on my feet, and I blew the spread, and these guys lost their bets. Well, you know, now, and, and to be fair, this was in 1970, where, you know, you didn't even know what the odds were. Right? You had to have a bookie to know the odds. You, you know, yeah, hey, call, you know, call Sally. He'll give you the odds on that one. Now they're in the paper. Everybody knows the odds, and you and I both know when they're going to go and try and get these kids to give them money, they're going to give them money to not cover. People don't understand. Nobody ever gets paid to lose a game. Nobody's going to lose a game. They get paid to not cover, and it's going to be like this NIL thing. Ultimately, the kids, there's going to be a lot of damage on these kids. So as I heard you talking about the gambling and the cover, uh, you know, spread and protecting that, one big thing, and certainly that's exploded in not just in basketball, but sport in general. Big change in college sport is, well, two things, I think, really. Number one, the transfer portal. Kids able to transfer without sitting out makes it, easier for a kid that may be marginal to go to another school that he can play right away. And the second thing is NIL. How does that play a impact on the game moving forward? And what would coach say to that? He'd say, goodness gracious sakes alive. <laughs> That's what he'd say. And, by the way, let me just add that my beloved UCLA Bruins, who I'm going to go watch beat Stanford tonight in Poly Pavilion with my grandson, talk about gratitude. Uh, uh, they, they are the 
only big-time school in America who has no new transfers on their team this year. They are nobody left. You know, there were kids that left to go play pro ball, but they didn't go to other schools, and they just brought a few kids in. And, uh, you know, I understand recruiting is crazy, and, you know, uh, you recruit these five-star kids. I mean, whoever imagined you'd be in a position right now where UNC, Kentucky, Kansas, uh, not Kansas, they're in, uh, Duke, you know, they're, they're all on the bubble. Now, something tells me that when, you know, Joe Lunardi ends up shaking this bubble and the guys at the networks end up shaking Joe Lunardi, they'll be in the tournament. Let me ask you this. So I didn't really follow college basketball when I was, when you were, when I was two or three years old and coach, I have to believe had a huge impact on the outcome of uh, a team's season. How important is the coach in today's game? Oh, it's everything. You know, it's everything. And, and, and of course, you know, what, what coach was great at was getting guys to all play together to win the whole doggone thing. And when they got there, they felt like they actually got there without, without it being all about him. You know, I think oftentimes coaches want it to be about them. And one of Coach's real secrets was he didn't want to be about him. You know, when, when, when he was given the award as the greatest coach ever by Sporting News, I think don't know if I told you this story. I suspect I did. Uh, the, when he, and this was the last speech he ever gave, Matt. The, the, the first thing he did, there were 10 of his former players there. I was one of them. And he, you know, he turned to the former players and he said, you know, you guys really deserve this. I, I just like to think I helped. Now, you, you know, you might ask was, you know, is that genuine? Yes. Yes, it is. It is. Now, by the way, and this is where people get very confused. John Wooden knew he was one heck of a basketball coach which he thought was, you know, like being a really good taxi driver or a great doctor or a really good teacher. They were all, wow, oh, good, you're good at that. But, you know, society made it seem like being a big basketball coach was a bigger deal, and he, he never felt that. So the, the humility that you saw wasn't that he didn't have great confidence that he was a really good basketball coach. It just for him was something to be kept in perspective. Come on, it's a bunch of people in their underpants trying to throw a ball in a hoop. You know, the thing that I've felt just from hearing you talk about Coach and the relationships that he had, not only with you, but other players, I get a sense that beyond just coaching a team, he really got to the point where he absolutely just loved his players through thick and thin. And I sense that because of the love that you have for coach, but I think it went coach to player as well. How much did you feel that as a player? Or was that something more that you felt years later after you reconnected? Uh, I, I didn't feel it at all as a player. He used to say something that made no sense, which if you're 20, it makes no sense. 
if you've been a parent, it makes perfect sense, which is, I don't like you all the same, but I'd like to think I love you all the same. Say that to a 20-year-old kid and it's like, what? As a parent, I understand that completely. So, you know, some of the things that he said to us as we were young that didn't resonate made a lot more sense. And then, of course, when we reconnected with him, Matt, I think one of the things that I found most interesting about Coach was that he did... He didn't care about winning. He loved to win. But I think he saw the 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 best the this this experience of putting people to a test, taking them to a limit, seeing how far they could go, would develop lots of life skills that would benefit people in life. But he was making $32,500 a year. You know, and now there's so much money involved that saying all those things about, you know, it's kind of like, really? That's what you're thinking? Or aren't you thinking about your next contract or, you know, the next time a job opens up? How come these college coaches, they can all leave? Pro coaches can't leave. I've never understood that. College coach, you know, if if if, if, if I've got a lousy coach and I want to go hire Eric Spolstra and I pick up the phone and call Eric Spolstra's agent, the next 15 minutes later, Pat Riley is in my office with a gun telling me to cut it out. And then the and then the commissioner takes a draft choice away. But in college, everybody's fair game. At the same time that these people are out on the road trying to talk these kids into coming to work to make them more money. I mean, it's a screwy system now. There's too much money involved. And I feel very grateful to have grown up when I did. I'm not one of these people who wishes I could start all over again. I, I feel fortunate that, you know, I was able to go to high school and go to one high school. I feel fortunate that the portal was not available so that, you know, I stuck it out. Best thing I ever did was I stuck it out because they didn't give me kind of this, you know, oh, you can leave out back the back door. We'll grease the fire pole for you and you can get the hell out of here. No, no, no. It's like, you know, stick it out, man. Stick it out. As we kind of wrap things up here, I want to ask one final question. And it's around just your time at UCLA. And I know you grew up right right in the neighborhood, dreamt about going there. But to your point, you know, you're sitting on the bench your sophomore year, junior year, senior year. There had to have been some times where you thought about going somewhere else and you touched on how grateful you are that you stayed through the four years really how grateful are you number one that you didn't go to another school because you certainly had other top choices to go to how different would your life been had you not had the experience with coach for those four years well i that's the un that, that the last one's totally unanswerable. I have no idea. Uh, it's it is why I am a great believer when people look back in their life and what what if I what, what a waste of time. Here we are, Matt. You and I both sitting up, not wearing a hospital gown, healthy, smiling, 
Hallelujah. Life exactly is great. Right. Life is that. great. And, and yes, we have challenges. Yes, people are going hungry. People are suffering from earthquakes and weather and all these other things. But at the end of the day, when I look at my, and this is something we got to balance in our life, is, yeah, all these things are happening. And I can't just stick my head in the sand and act like they aren't. But at the same time, I have to take what I have, look at it and go, wow, what a lucky person I am. Because as you know, when you do that, how do you feel? Fantastic. How does your stress level feel? It's gone. Right. It's just gone. And, uh, you know, so it, 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 what a great addiction to build into your day. You know, one of the things I got to do a few years ago was give a TEDx talk with the great Norman Lear. And he was there, 97 years old, a little pork pie hat. And Norman talked about his joy every morning when he would make himself, which I do as well, his cup of coffee. I wake up every morning and I think about Norman Lear and think, wow, yeah, isn't this great? Isn't this fantastic? And, and, and you know, and thank you, Norman, because you know what? Just looking at you, just feeling that gratitude, I can tell that's part of what kept that guy going. That's part of why that guy's still on fire. And, uh, you know, if you can embrace it at the same time, keeping yourself open to what is is real in the world. I mean, we have friends who are sick and we have friends who we lose and, you know, all of the life challenges that we face. But we have the ability to bring ourselves back to our own gratitude if we are fortunate enough to be in the kind of circumstances we are in. And yet you and I both know so many people with so much to be grateful for who just can't bring themselves to focus on their own sense of joy and gratitude. And it's, it's sad to see, but, you know, all we can do is uh, set an example for others. And, uh, you know, the fact that you're out here trying to spread the word, good for you, man. I'm proud of you. Thanks, Andy. I really appreciate it. And I, I wanted to have you back on the, today's show because, as we mentioned, the NCAA tournament is right around the corner. And you were part of historical teams, teams that will never – we'll never see teams like that ever again. We don't see repeat champions, let alone three, four-peats. The principles that you shared around coach have made a difference in my life, and I think they'll make a difference in other people's lives. I'm so grateful to have you. You know, I think about three things each and every day, and I think they might help other people – thrive in the lives that they're trying to thrive in number one it's find the courage to be grateful regardless of how powerful your storm is secondly truly be present to those you're with you'd be amazed at the gifts that are right in front of you if you're just present but if you're in your phone if you're not paying attention to them you're off on something you're going to miss that and lastly pay attention to how you're feeding your mind, your body, and your soul. Today's guest was three-time NCAA basketball champion, Andy Hill. Andy, it's such an honor to have you on today's show. If today's show inspired you in some way, shape, or form, subscribe to the show, comment on it, and share it with others. Until next time, with gratitude, Matt listeners, find the courage to be grateful. Godspeed, my friends.